You guys are awesome. Thank you. Yeah. You sit down. I didn't do anything yet. I didn't do anything. All right. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Welcome. That is great. It's so cool. You guys are happy and excited that I'm here. If you weren't, it's cool. I already got my check. So I'm going to go try. I was like, that's fine. So we're going to have a great time today. We're, we're at church right now, and some people think, and we're going to laugh, and some people think you shouldn't laugh in church. And my response to that is always, what good father doesn't want to hear his children's laughter in his house? So we're going to laugh and stuff, and I'm going to tell you kind of, basically I'm going to tell you some of my story and what church was like when I was a kid. But there's two verses of scripture that's going to apply to everything I'm talking about, I think. So what you want to do if you write these down later on, I think they'll pop in a new way, even though you may have read them before, as a result of what we talk about today. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. So uh, the first one is Jeremiah 29, 11. And then the next one is, uh, let's go with John 10, 27. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to throw another one, three of them. I'm tripping today. This is like, wow. <laughs> let's go with Revelations 3, 20. And 2 Romans to, I'm just playing. There's no second Romans. There's no second Romans. If you started writing that down, you, you need to dig into the word. You don't know what you're doing right now. It's just those three are just fine. So we're going to have some fun. It's going to be great. All right, so let me, so I'm basically going to tell you my story kind of from, from my perspective. Since it's my story, I guess it should be from my perspective. So we're already laughing some at church already. But when I was a kid, laughing at church was illegal. You can laugh at church. I remember one time laughing. I was seven years old. I was seven years old. My grandmother took me to church, and this, this lady was jumping around, and her wig fell off. I laughed. My grandmother would pinch and twist. I can understand a pinch. You going to twist? That's the devil right there. That's the devil. Church was miserable. I'm this is my church experience from a seven-year-old's perspective. It was nowhere near this cool. Like, this is cool. I don't know what kind of weed y'all smoking, what all this smoke is, but this is really some extra stuff going on up here right now. But Church was miserable when I was a kid, like miserable. I'm seven years old. I walk into this church, and this dude is up on stage, and he was mad at everybody. And I'm, at seven years old, I tried to figure it out. I figured he was mad because he had some phlegm caught in his throat. Because at the end of every sentence, he would try to get it out. He'd be like, the Lord said, ah. act like you ah. I'm like, Grandma, he need to gargle or something. Grandma, I don't know what you. And the dude had a Bible in his hand. He kept playing like he was going to. Throw that people. He was like, ah. Ah. and people would get scared. He'd be like, hey, man, hey, man. I realize now they were saying amen. I didn't know. I was seven years old. My clothes were like three sizes too small. My shoes were at least two sizes too small, but my grandmother had this thing called a shoehorn. So if your foot don't fit, now it do. The church lasts six hours. Then we go in the basement and have a sandwich and come back up. I'm like, what was that, halftime or something? It was miserable. 14 years old, instead of forcing me to go to church, my grandmother did something different. She asked me if I wanted to go. I was like, let me think this over, Grandma. No. 
So I wouldn't go to church. I was like, thanks for giving me the option, but I'm not going to church. I just hung out with my friends. That's what we did, just hung out. And we were broke. We had no money. I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. Like we... Some Christians don't know what to do with that joke. <laughs> Dude, you can't laugh and shake your head. <laughs> we had no money. We was broke. But when you got no money, you get creative. I remember I wanted an action figure. I just really wanted an action figure when I was a kid. My dad on my birthday handed me a box. I opened it up. It was empty. He said, it's Invisible Man. I played with that thing for three weeks, man. Till my brother hid it from me. Yo, did I just get a snort up front? Was that a snort? Yo, that's like a reward for a comedian. Good looking out on the snort. Felt all the oxygen lead as part of the room right there. That was great. We had no money, man. It was just, that's just how it was. And me and my friend also made a deal right around 14 years old. We made a deal that we wouldn't curse anymore. I'm not going to church, but let's be real. As soon as you leave the house to feel like a man, and you're not going to church, first thing you do is you start cursing. So me and my friend made a deal we wouldn't curse anymore. In fact, this was the deal. If he heard me curse, he could hit me in the chest hard as he wanted to and vice versa. And dude could hit hard. So I stopped cussing immediately. We played other games too. Remember the game Slug Bug? East Coast, they call it Punch Bug. Here's how the game works. If you see a Volkswagen Bug, you get to hit your friend. Those are all the instructions. In my neighborhood, they would take this game a little too far. They would add to the game. You ever play Uppercut Fire Truck? What about minivan body slam? You ever play that game? <laughs> there was always one crazy dude in our group who would make up games on the spot, like hit you in the throat to all building. What? That don't even rhyme. You play too much. I also started noticing around this time, thanks for the snort, I also started noticing around this time that I was struggling with my reading. Now, I knew it before this, but now I'm, I don't want the girls knowing that I'm struggling with my reading. I just couldn't, my, my reading was really bad. It's fine now, by the way. I can read just fine. Now, I like the signs over the door that say excite. I can read that stuff. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I would struggle with my reading. I couldn't sound words out phonetically. I had to look at the words differently. I would look at the font size, the color, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people responded to it. I actually came up with seven different ways to look at a word to determine what that word was. Then I got really good at it. To the point in high school, people didn't know I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out really, really fast. Now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. In fact, it's the primary place that I pull my comedy from. So that very thing from my past that looked like it was a handicap, it seemed as if I was dealt a bad hand. God didn't cause it, but he's used it in preparation for what he asked me to do. It's almost as if I was practicing even though I didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this again so you can hear what I'm saying. That thing from your past, the fact that you never met your dad before, your parents were divorced, you were molested as a child. God did not cause that, but he'll use it in preparation for what he has you to do. Chances are you've been practicing. Maybe you didn't know you were practicing, but I'm here to let you know you've been practicing, a lot of you, and it's game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So now, as a result of my practice, I find funny everywhere. It just shows up. 
I'm at the airport. This cool little white kid walks up to me, asks for an autograph. I was like, cool, what's your name, buddy? He said, I'm Tanner. I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> 26, year, 26 years old, I moved to New York City from Michigan. Why did I move to New York City? Because I'm doing comedy at this point, and I want to know if I'm funny. And in New York, if you're not funny, the way they let you know is they'll say something like, you're not funny. <laughs> so there's a comedy club in New York called The Comic Strip Live, and, I, and it, it's, it's a really awesome club, but it's super hard to get into. They used to have an open mic on Tuesday nights. It would take place at 7 p.m. Well, comedians who are new in town, like myself, would start lining up at 6 o'clock in the morning so they can do like 90 seconds in front of the manager in hopes that he'll call them back the next month and they don't have to wait in line again. Really hard to get in this club. So it's finally my turn to perform at the comic strip live. And right before I get on stage, this comedian named George Wallace walks in. Very established comedian. The problem is when someone like that who's established walks in, whoever's next gets bumped. I'm next. I know I'm about to get bumped. The manager's already walking over to me. But no, this is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I noticed him. The manager walks over and says, Michael Jr., listen, George Wallace is here. Would you like to go on before him or after him? That never happens. It ne you never get an option. I was like, before him, please. <laughs> so I go on before George Wallace, and I got New Yorkers laughing. But not only are they laughing, but he comes in, and he's laughing as well. After the show, there's a bunch of comedians around him and asking him questions. He leaves them, and he walks over to me. And he says, you know what? You're really funny. Let me ask you a question. He was like, why don't you curse? I was like, I don't know if my grandmother walk in or something. <laughs> my grandmother wasn't coming to no comedy club in New York City. What else was I going to say? My friend might hit me in the chest. I'm a grown man. <laughs> so he said to me, you're funny and you're clean. I'd like for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I didn't know who his best friend was, but I was pumped. I was excited. Turns out his best friend is Jerry Seinfeld. I do two shows, we get two standing ovations. I rip, I'm the man, I'm like, yeah. After the show, the club manager walks up to me. He said, Michael, you had a great set, wow. He said, let me ask you a question. Um, would you like to go to church with me tomorrow? <laughs> church, I just got two standing ovations. Why are you messing this up right now, man? I was like, back up, you're making my feet hurt. I'm not going to church, man. So I was like, nah, that's okay. I don't want to go to church, man. Thanks, though. Church? I'm going to go to church for 20 minutes later, his fiance asked me the same question, but she was fine. <laughs> I mean, beautiful. And she had some kind of accent, too. She was like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, I was just looking for a church the other day, man. Find me a church, man. So I go to this church for the wrong reasons, right? And I can't even find these people. Church is called Christian Culture Center, and I'm sitting in the back, and it's, I'm way in the back. There's like 4,000 people or something crazy in this church, and, I'm, and this dude comes on stage, and he's talking about Jesus. That's it. He's just talking, A.R. Bernard. He's just talking about Jesus. He's not screaming. He's not yelling. He don't got no perm. Dude just talking. <laughs> just like your pastor. He's just explaining the things to God, and I was, I was like, wow. This. Then he did this thing where he did like an altar call, where he said, if you want Jesus in your life, all you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, raise your hand do this prayer, and Jesus is yours. And I was like, yo, I really wanted to do it. Like, I really wanted to, but I was like, nah. I got to read the pamphlet first. Because <laughs> I knew a couple Christians, and they was creepy. 
There's some creepy Christians out there. If you don't know any creepy Christians, it's you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your friends know one. Yeah, they know one. Yeah. So I told myself, before I give my life over to Jesus, I'm going to read the Bible. I didn't even have a Bible. Then at O'Hare Airport, a few days later, this random lady just walks up to me and hands me a Bible. We never exchanged words. She just walked off like the Lone Ranger or somebody. <laughs> so I got this Bible. First of all, I didn't know it was that big. The Bible was huge. I was like, man, I opened it up. I read the copyrights first. The Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> me too. I'm tripping. Why come we never met before? <laughs> so I'm reading the Bible, and I'm going to church. I'm reading the Bible, I'm going to church. At this point, I really want to give my life over to Jesus. But I told myself I'd read the Bible first. And you don't have to do this to make, make this decision. I just wanted to stick with what I said. So now I'm digging into where I'm digging in. I got to the part about the job. I'm like, no wonder I won't want them. I kept reading. <laughs> kept reading, going to church. And I'm reading, and I'm going to I'm putting in like 12 to 14 hours a day reading the Bible. Because now I really want to give my life over to Jesus. So I'm digging in. 12 hours a day. That was like nine chapters a day. I was digging in. Anyway. So I get to the part in Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. It actually took me 36 days to read the Bible. I finished reading the Bible 36 days, and I got to the part in Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. Yo, I didn't even know until age 27 that Jesus died for me. I didn't know. Until I read it right there in Matthew. I've been to church, people, but nobody was explaining it in a way that I could clearly understand what took place. And then I read it right there in Matthew that he died. I was like, wow. Then I turned to Mark and he died again. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> then in Luke, I'm, and then John, I'm like, why are you going back in the garden, Jesus? Why are you going back there? I wish that was a joke. I really thought Jesus died four times. I was like, man, we tripping. So I finish up the Bible, and I go to church, and I give my life to Jesus. I raise my hand, I do the whole prayer thing, and now I understand some stuff. I understand. I probably understand a fraction of a percentage of 1% of the Bible, maybe. But now I understand. I'm not, I used to just think I was funny. But now I understand I'm funny for a reason. Like there's purpose behind me having this sense of humor, just like there's purpose behind the talents, the gifts, and even the setbacks that you have. God will use absolutely all of it. So now I get some celebrities. Some that you would know who, who I get to be around who ask me questions about God. And I remember one in particular whose name I won't say who you, you would know. He said, uh, he said, explain God to me. That's what he said. He wanted me to explain God to him. I can't just explain God. If I could completely explain God, he wouldn't be God. It would be me. <laughs> and I can't grow hair right here. <laughs> By the way, remember that dude in, in Texas that said he was Jesus a long time ago? Dude said he was Jesus. He had followers. This was before Twitter. Dude had followers and everything. I looked up a picture of him recently. Um, he, he wore glasses. You can't be Jesus and have an optometrist. Like, you can't, you can't do both. I just want to throw that out there. I don't know why. It's just, you can't be like, have your sight. I got an appointment. I'm going to go see my optometrist real quick. Like, what? Anyway. So celebrities will ask me questions like, explain God. And then, and then he said this. He rephrased the question. He said, how is it I can do all of this stuff that I'm doing? And you know what I'm doing. And people say that God still wants a relationship with me. 
And this is what I said. And this, is, this isn't even close to how awesome God is, but this is all I could come up with. I was like, God is like a navigation device when you're in your car. You ever been in a car with a navigation device before? You ever been in a car before? We could start there. Y'all ever been in a car before? Okay. It's like being in a car with a navigation device. If it says go 10 blocks and turn left, then you go 10 blocks and turn right. It doesn't abandon what you're supposed to do. It recalculates what you need to do to get to where you're supposed to be based upon where you are. The only problem is if you keep making the wrong turns, the road conditions may be different and you're running out of time. So you have to be sensitive to listen to that voice so you can make the right choice about where you're supposed to be. And that voice sounds an awful lot like a coach because you haven't been practicing for nothing. It's game time. So now, um, man, I'm at that point. No, man, it always happens. Uh, all right. Excuse me. What's your name up front? Pretty lady with dimples. She's cute. She got dimples. I think dimples are women. is so beautiful. I think it's only in the front. Just want to say that. Only in the front. Anyway. Um, <laughs> he said it at church. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, so I only have time for one of two stories, and I'm going to let you choose. I have the story about the first time I did The Tonight Show. And I have the story about the first time I went to prison. You get to choose which of the stories I'm going to do. Prison or The Tonight Show? Prison. Yeah, I see where you're from. That's great. That's great. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. So I have a nonprofit, right, um, called Funny for the Forgotten, where we make laughter commonplace in uncommon places. But before I had the nonprofit, I was already, was, God had already put it on my heart to start taking comedy to prisons. So my first time ever in a prison, I'm in the state of Washington walk into prison, and I'm scared for real. Like, I'm scared, like, for real. As soon as I walk in, the warden takes my belt from me. He's like, you can't have a belt. Somebody might try to hang you. <laughs> can't they just boo me like regular people? <laughs> that's, why they got, that's why they in here right now. What? I was like, all right, cool. But now I'm all scared. I'm in prison, my pants loose. Like, this is a bad idea, man. I'm just... <laughs> I got seven different ways to look at this. <laughs> and I'm walking in this prison, they got these bars, right? This glass bar, and you, they open in front of you, you take a few steps and they close behind you and there's some more bars and they open. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Welcome home. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm walking in this prison and I'm scared for real. Like I'm scared and I'm walking in and I need a joke immediately. I need these dudes to like me immediately, but not that much. And I'm walking in, and all of the prisoners, there's no, first of all, there's no stage, there's no glass. We're not doing comedy on the phone. <laughs> and I'm walking in, and there's a bunch of, and I had like 15 guards when we started out. At the end, I got one dude. And he was like, hey, man, as far as I go. I was like, well, me too. He's like, no, 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 what happens is they gave me a little black box with a pin in it, and they said, this, this black box, if you just put it on your pants right here, and if anyone tries to attack you, just pull the pin out, we'll come in and help. Like, that's the plan, dude? Like, like, that's the plan? They know about the pin. One dude's job is to keep the pin in. But I feel like God told me to be here, so I'm just all going. I walk in, and all the prisoners got on these pink jumpsuits, and they're all in this big circle on the floor. And there's an opening, there's an opening in the middle with a little line in the like I'm supposed to do jokes right there in the middle of all these dudes. 
And they all got on pink jumpsuits. And I don't have any joke popping up yet. No, I got nothing. I'm on my way to the spot where I'm supposed to do comedy, but nothing's popping up. I know you're thinking, won't you say something about them jumpsuits? Nope. I ain't saying nothing about them jumpsuits. Nope. Not an option. So I'm walking in. I got nothing. I have nothing. I look cool on the outside, but I got. I had one joke pop up, but I wasn't going to start with it. I was going to be like, you know what? You guys are a captive audience. I just want to say that. I didn't feel a piece of my spirit about starting with that joke. So I'm walking, I got three steps left. I look cool on the outside, but I got nothing, for real. I have nothing. I'm walking in, I look cool, two steps left, one step left. I lift this foot up. While it's in the air, I got nothing. I settle this foot, and for real, sitting right up front, is a white dude with a white beard named Moses. I was like, thanks, Lord. When I said these words, the place exploded in laughter. We had an amazing time. I said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. When you see the prison warden, I want you to look him in his eye. You look him right in his eye, and I want you to say, let my people go. <laughs> For real. Here's the thing. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? The truth is, it wasn't as much pressure as you might think because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who was struggling with his reading. I was practicing, just like you've been practicing. Maybe you didn't know you were practicing. I'm here to let you know you've been practicing, and for a lot of you guys, it is game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. Some of you guys had amplified practice during the pandemic. You've been practicing, it's game time. God wants to use all of that for something great for something amazing, but you have to hear his voice. So me and my wife were looking at some old home videos recently of, um, it wasn't super old, like a VHS or whatever. <laughs> some of the young kids like, what's of a hush? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so we're looking at this video of our youngest daughter being born. And I'm gonna show you this video. It's not her being born, because I'm not gonna show you that. <laughs> but let me set this up for you. My daughter, this is our youngest daughter, we got five kids. Our youngest, and at this point, she's like two and a half minutes old, right? And the video you're about to watch, I took the video. But I didn't understand the power of the video until I watched the video. So I took the video, she's two and a half minutes old. They got her under a little chicken warmer at the hospital, a little thing to keep the chicken, the french fries warm. I don't know what kind of insurance we have, but that's what she was under. <laughs> so they're about to clean her up, and she starts to cry. I want you to notice what happens when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay, it's okay, I'm right here. Right here, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, Yo, man. that was pretty dope. Now, now it's like seven, seven and a half minutes or so later, the nurse is done cleaning her up and she starts to cry again. I speak up and she stops crying again. But I want you to notice what happens when I tell her I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. Boom. Wow. 
So listen, here's what I want you to catch. There's going to be times in life where you feel like you've just been practicing and practicing and practicing. Maybe even to the point of tears. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because he is talking to you. And what he wants you to know is that he's right here. He loves you. All you have to do is open your eyes. You hear some music? Hold on, hold on, hold on. You guys hear some music? Oh, yeah, not yet, man. It's not your concert. Hold on one second. Yeah, hold on. Just hold on one second. Hold on, I'm sorry. I was like, why am I so emotional right now? I'm like, is my heart making music right now? No, it's that dude right there. Okay. So I got one more story I need to tell y'all, right? But first I got to tell you how I came up with the story, and then you're going to slide in after that. Thanks, man. Hey, are you married? You married? Yeah, I know you are. As smooth as you is, man. That was smooth the way you just... That was pretty smooth. That was, that was pretty smooth. All right. So the story I'm going to tell you is... I'm going to tell you how I came up with this story, but it's a story about having a relationship with Jesus. And the way I came up with this story is I was writing a joke. I was just doing what I do. I was writing a joke about the good room. How many people in here are even watching at some of the other campuses right now? How many of you know what the good room is? Raise your hand. See, in here there's like just like three hands going up because the reason you don't know is because I never finished writing a joke. But the truth is, is mostly all of you know what the good room is. Let me explain. The good room is that room in your grandmother's house or your aunt's house or maybe your house. It's that one room that's better than the rest of the house. Okay, nobody going there. It's plastic on the furniture. It's really just for looks. How many people know what the good room is now? Raise your hand. Exactly. So I'm writing this joke about the good room, and in the middle of writing this joke, God stops me and tells me to tell this story to his people. And I feel like he wants me to tell this story to you as well. Now would be a good time to jump in, bro. If you want to, yeah, it's a good time. Now, wow, you early and late. That is amazing. That is amazing, really. So I want everyone in here right now, this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. Everyone at every campus right now. I want you to imagine. Imagine that you are a house. And outside of the house is Jesus Christ. And he wants to come in. He'd like to come in. But he'll never force his way in. He actually wants you to invite him in. And the reason some people in this room have not truly invited, have not invited Jesus into the house is because you're cool with the way things are right now. So it would seem. Whenever you need something, you just walk up to the door, crack it open, tell them what happened, say a little prayer, and close the door and go back into the house. But that's not a relationship at all. How can you hear his voice under those circumstances? How can you truly utilize the practice that he didn't cause but wants to use under those circumstances? And the reason you won't let him into the house it's because your house is a mess. And you think you need to clean it up first. How's that working out for you? There may be drugs or pornography, alcohol, or you just buying a bunch of stuff, volunteering a whole bunch, trying to stay distracted from the mess. Or relationships. You brought other people in the house, hoping that maybe they could help you clean it up. But they can't. The only one who can clean it up is standing outside the door wearing an apron with a bucket in his hand waiting on you to truly open the door. Then there's other people in here right now. You used to have Jesus in the whole house. But whether you realize it or not, you've moved him to just one room in the house. The good room. 
Have you ever noticed how the good room most of the time is the one right up front with the big window? So when people look in, they think the whole house is clean. But it's not. It's just that one room. So when they hear about you coming to church or even volunteering, they think the whole house is clean. But it's not. It's just that one room. You quote scriptures, but it's just that one room. You give money, but it's just that one room. You sing all the songs, but it's just that one room. Jesus wants access to the whole house. And I'm telling you, if you would just open this door and let him in, he'll show up with a contractor named the Holy Spirit. And they will make sure the house is fully functioning the way it was intended to. But none of this happens if you don't open the door. Because he will not, he will never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. So if everyone in here, if you could just close your eyes and bow your head at every campus, please. If you're listening to my voice right now and you know this is about you and you need to invite Jesus into your house, whether it be for the first time or to give him full access to your house again, I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. On the count of three, I just simply want you to put your hand in the air. You don't have to overthink this. Just on the count of three, if that's you, you need to invite Jesus into your house for the first time or to truly give him full access. On the count of three, just simply put your hand in the air. One, two, three. Praise God. It's a lot of hands. Praise God. Okay, look up at me. First of all, let me say this. You can put your hands down. Let me say this. I am proud of you. Now, more times than not, when I say that phrase right before or right after, God will give me a number of how many times I need to repeat that phrase for some people in the room who have never received it from a father's voice before. So I'm going to say that phrase again that number of times, and I want you to simply work on just receiving it right now. I am proud of you. This is not just for those who raised their hand. I am proud of you. 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 So now this right here is for everyone who raised their hand, even those who should have raised their hand. I'm going to do a prayer, and we're going to pray together. And I'm going to do the prayer, and I want you to repeat the prayer in the privacy of your heart. And in doing that, you've received Jesus fully so he can come into the entire house. The other thing I want you to do is before you leave, I want you to do something a little different than what you've always done. Normally you come to church, you sit down, you leave that way. I want you to do something a little different, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. You just, you just listen to God, and he'll give you some instructions on what that is. It may be to go introduce yourself to somebody. It may be to go pray with somebody. It may just to be sit still for a little while. But do something different in the natural and watch what God will do in the spiritual. Like, watch what he'll do. So I'm going to do this prayer. And then they normally bring up a white dude to make it official after I'm done. I don't know how that normally works, but it's probably going to happen. It's probably going to happen. We're laughing in the middle of a life-changing moment. God wants you to laugh. He's a good father, and he wants his kids to laugh in his house. So if you raised your hand, if you made that decision, I want you to repeat after me in the privacy of your heart. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ to this earth to die for me. Thank you, Father, that he rose again on the third day. Thank you for forgiving me for all my sins. 
I believe it and I receive it. Come into my house, come into my heart, and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are awesome. I just straight up love y'all on the real. I really, really do. And we just met.